He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome, everybody, to the Anthony Irwin Show. I am Anthony Irwin. Today, joined by somebody who I, I realize, like, as I do more of these with people that I go way back with, how lo- how far back that is. Sean Hyken and I have been talking about basketball for years, and uh, he does it really, really well. Right now, he's covering the Blazers for the Rose Garden Report. Um, he has a newsletter and podcast over there. But, Sean, you and I have been talking about this stuff for a long ass time probably 10 years at this point right like it's, going it's, back we're going back to like back you know in the true hoop and like the height of the sb nation yeah, like, I, it's I probably get, it's literally probably is about 10 years at this point we're, we're nearing there for sure like it's it's like I, I i get these notifications every so often about you know posts that i wrote for wherever wherever i was writing for at the time and it and you know back when i used to post stuff to my personal Facebook in case any of my friends, they were my audience back then. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. like I'll, every so often I'll get this link that pops up and it's like five years ago, you wrote that Aaron Rodgers was on his way out. And I'm like, yeesh, yeah, man, it's a good thing. Really well. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, it's but, literally yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's literally like, cause I've been going, this was, this last year was my 10th summer league. And you, I didn't, you yeah. and I didn't get to connect out in Vegas this year, but like, yeah, you're one of the people that like every year, like you're somebody that I always will like get dinner with or hang out with yeah. in Vegas going back as long as I've been doing this. Yeah. I, I think when I, when I found out I wasn't going to be able to go or, or whatever, one of the things that I really regretted was like, yeah, either it was at the SB nation house that we would all hang out or we would meet up at, a, at whatever bar, go out for dinner. Yeah. And yeah, I, I was bummed. I wasn't able to go next year for sure. Next year, I am definitely. This year going. was good. This year, because la- I mean, you were there last year. Last year, like it was a joke. Like the access was terrible, and nobody yeah. was really doing anything because of COVID, and everything was still locked down. This year, everything was pretty much back to, for better or worse, you can land wherever you want to land on yeah. on that. But it for for us, like doing the media thing in terms of access, in terms of just being able to talk to whoever and go wherever it was completely back to like 2019. That's good because, you know, one of the trends I've been kind of disappointed with in the NBA has been the NBA kind of sort of using COVID as an excuse to scale back a lot of the access stuff. Uh Um, And I see that like throughout the league and I see it, you know, it's essentially the old, the age old saying, right. In, in corporate America is don't let good, don't let bad news go to waste. Right. So like if, if you're thinking about doing something and cutting costs somewhere and you get some bad news, yeah, you're probably going to cut costs, even if you don't necessarily have to. Right. And for the NBA, like they have essentially, I think we, we know this, players aren't thrilled with, with having to answer questions night in, night out and all that stuff. And and I think the NBA is and, and the, the union have been kind of saying, hey, if there's a way that we could kind of scale some of this back, we can, you know, take advantage of the situation. And they have been. And and actually, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about today was some of that potentially going on with the team that you cover. Um, and now this isn't an access thing. It's a decision that they're making as far as the presentation of their games. They're not sending their radio team. They're not sending their basketball or their, their telecast team. Um, they're doing all of that remote. 
And it's been like it's pretty rare that people are all unified and, and all on the same page on anything nowadays. But the outcry on this has been pretty unanimous and that it's a pretty terrible idea. Yeah, so just a little bit of a timeline here. I had heard, I want to say two months ago, that this was probably what was going to happen. I didn't write anything or say anything about it at the time because it was one of those things where, like, I didn't know that, you know, I didn't know if it was a final decision or I didn't know if it was, like, my place to say that or if, you know, yeah. who, you know who it would impact by putting it out there. And it was also, like, around the time of free agency and all of that stuff. So I kind of had other things to deal with, and I just kind of didn't, I, I kind of forgot about it until this week when mm -hmm. Dwight James and Chad Dewing, who have a radio show together on Rip City Radio, which is the Blazers' official TV partner. Yeah. Or not TV partner, radio partner, rather. It's the station that brought that they have a deal with to broadcast all of their games. Mm -hmm. So literally state media yeah. was talking about this today, or this week, or last week, rather. I guess it's Monday now, but it was last Wednesday. And they were just crushing the, the team for it. And you would think yeah. that on the team's official radio station, they would be like saying, oh, you know, this is actually not that bad of an idea. But no, Dwight and Chad were just killing them for it. And so yeah. once it was clear that this was like a real story that had legs, I reached out to Dwayne Hankins, who's the president of business operations, has had that job for a little less than a year. He got promoted into that job when Chris McGowan resigned last uh, November. And I reached out to him, I sent him an email, and he gave me a comment, which I put in my story. And he basically said, we haven't made a final decision either way about whether we're going to travel. And we're, you know, we're going to take all the lessons. I'm kind of paraphrasing this. I don't have it exactly in front of me. Mm -hmm. But he's like, we're going to take the lessons that we've learned from doing remote broadcasts during COVID and try to make our broadcast more efficient. And if it negatively impacts the product, then we're going to adjust, which... If from what I had from from, <laughs> from what I had heard, this was already going to be a fine. I got the final decision had been made. And so when he sent me that statement, mm -hmm. I was just like, mm, I don't know. They're kind of already walking this back a little bit. But I'm interested to see how this evolves going forward. He's actually supposed to go on the radio tonight to address it, which I'm very interested to see what he has to say about that. I will say I will give the new uh, Blazers both on the business op side with Dwayne and on the basketball op side with uh, Joe Cronin, who took over for Neil Olshay in December. Yeah. They have been much more willing to actually talk about this stuff on the record and be transparent and not act like, you know, it's a state secret whenever anybody pushes back on anything that, that they're actually willing to have a conversation about this stuff and keep it respectful and actually try to explain their side of things. So I'm very interested to see what, uh, Dwayne Hankins has to say about if this isn't a, just purely a cost-cutting thing as I and most other people who have reacted to this news feel that it probably is, then, you know, sell us on the idea of why this actually would be good yeah. for the broadcast and make it better. Because in my mind, and I did a story, I want to say this was, God, the bubble was two years ago. It's crazy how time it's... goes by. But <laughs> yeah. two years ago during the bubble, remember during the eight original seeding games before the playoffs mm -hmm. all of the games were broadcast nationally on espn and tnt but then they were also shown on all the local uh affiliates with the local broadcast teams also yeah and all of the local broadcast teams were not 
in the bubble. They were doing it remote. I remember this. And of course, I did Stu a, Lance had to figure out Zoom. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was everybody did it. And and uh, I did a story where, you know, for part of it, I was I actually did some in-person reporting, which was the first in-person thing I had been able to do of any kind since COVID had hit. But I went over to the Blazers uh, studio, which is in the arena, and Jeff Curtin, their uh, head of broadcasting, took me through their entire, uh, you know, setup and how they were doing it remotely and, you know, just the way that they had everything set up. And, and he just kind of gave me a behind the scenes tour of how all that stuff works. Mm-hmm. And then also as part of the story, I interviewed a bunch of local broadcasters from around the league. I talked to a couple of the Blazers folks, uh, Lamar Hurd, who's their color commentator on TV, and then Brooke Olsendam, who's a sideline reporter. And then I also talked to a few other folks, Marcus Johnson from the Bucks was one of them, Sarah Kustock from the Nets, uh, mm-hmm. Brian Simeon from the Clippers, their play-by-play guy, might have been one or two others, just about the challenges of calling games off a monitor when you're not in the building. And all of them told me just how much it sucked and how much <laughs> it makes their jobs harder. Uh, yeah. The example that Marcus John, and it's not even just like not being in the building and getting the, uh, you know, the atmosphere, but it's also like the couple of examples that different guys gave me was Marcus Johnson told me, remember during one of those seating games that like Giannis got suspended for a game because he got into like a little thing with Mo Wagner where they like mm. shoved each other. Oh yeah. And <laughs> yeah, he was telling oh, me Mo. that if he had actually been there in the building, he could have maybe noticed Giannis and Mo Wagner going back and forth before for a, few, for a few plays leading up to it. And then he would have been able to say, Hey, keep an eye on this. They might, this thing might be escalating. And right. then when it escalated, he would have been able to give a full backstory. So there's that. And then the other part of it, and I think this is something that maybe a lot of people who aren't in the business don't fully grasp or fully realize, or it doesn't even occur to them, but a big part of the job is not just during the games. A yeah. lot of it is just, you know, these announcers all travel with the team. They all fly on the team plane. They all yep. stay at the same hotel as the players. It's all and additional so context. gives yeah. them time to actually talk to these guys and build relationships with them. And one of the things that Lamar Hurd gave me as an example in that story that I wrote a couple of years ago was there was that uh, exchange that Dame and Paul George had mm. on Instagram where which was the origin of the phrase running from the grind which has become kind of a meme at the at you know Everywhere. since then but yeah. like that was where that came from was they had a little you know back and forth on Instagram in the bubble and Lamar was telling me that if he had been with the team when that happened he could have just pulled Dame aside at the hotel and been like hey just give me the whole backstory on yeah. you know your relationship with Paul George so that if this comes up on the next broadcast I can talk about it and have the full context and get the story right. And right. there's just so much of that that you lose for, and and it's not, the thing is like with this being a cost cutting thing, which again, I've gotten some pushback for writing that that's what it was for the Blazers, but I, I don't see what else it could be. Yeah. You're not even really saving that much money because again, the broadcasters fly on the team plane which means they don't have to like pay for additional airline tickets because they already have the plane booked with the same number of seats on the plane that it's going to have, whether these broadcasters fly on the plane or not. Yeah. You're maybe going there anyway. You're going to maybe save a little bit on some hotel rooms. You're going to save on some per diem costs, but like at most you're probably saving like 
500,000 to a million to maybe like 1.5 if we really want to get generous, which for an NBA team that just turned down a $2 billion offer from Phil Knight to buy the team, like that's not enough money that you're saving to really make it worth making the product noticeably worse than this. And especially like, I think people understood it when a lot of teams were scaling back their travel for their broadcasts like this during COVID because it was a safety thing. But now that the league's official position is that the pandemic is over, like that they aren't even testing players. They aren't even like requiring players to be vaccinated. They completely Mm -hmm. dropped the mask mandates. Like the league has decided that COVID is over. So now for the Blazers to say, Hey, actually we're not going to travel now because we want to, you know, the, the, the phrase that, that, that Dwayne Hankins gave me in the statement was be more efficient and see if we can improve the broadcast in other ways. I, I don't know, man. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't, I'm interested to hear what he has to say as his full explanation. And I guess I will fully reserve judgment until I hear what he has to say, but it, it doesn't really add up to me. The part that I have yet to hear from him or, and, and like you said, he's going to talk more about it, but the part that you would think something like along these lines would have come out is here's how this is going to improve, right? Like he's talked about how the, we're, they're going to be more efficient. They're, you know, that they're, uh, but he's also said like, they're going to kind of improve the, the telecast in other ways by using some of the excess, you know, potential fat on those budgets that came with travel that, that they were going to invest in, in some other ways to make these things better. And it's like, okay, how? <laughs> like that's what i'm interested in hearing about okay it's like okay if it's not just a cost-cutting thing sell sell us on why it actually right. is better for the broadcast and especially with you know the blazers are the only as far as i know because when this came out i asked around like i know people who work for other teams i know people who cover other teams in the media i asked around about you know hey is your team gonna do this or is this team gonna do this or is this team gonna do this from what i've been able to gather as of right at least on the tv side there might be a couple of uh teams that are sending or not sending their radio broadcast but at least on the tv side as far as i know right now the blazers are the only team that are planning on not Not traveling their tv broadcasters Mm -hmm. which it kind of goes in the same bucket to me as the blazers being the only one of the 30 teams that currently does not have their own g league League team Mm -hmm. which you're not outsmarting the other teams by not doing this thing that everybody else is doing that clearly is going to make your product better. Yeah. So I'm, I'm there. I'm again, if, if, you know, Dwayne Hank is a smart guy and I, you know, generally have found that he has good instincts on this kind of stuff. If they, if he really wants to sell us on, you know, how this is actually going to make the broadcast better then I'm very interested in what he's got to say on it. But just from where I sit and from having talked to broadcasters about how much harder it makes the job, I, it's hard for me to see just from my vantage point. Well, and, and we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the higher level stuff here in a second, as you know, you mentioned Phil Knight making an <laughs> offer and, and, and some of the uh, decisions that are going to be at that level. But the reason I wanted to talk about this stuff, because I know I'm covering a team that likes to cut costs, even if it affects the organization in a negative way, Jeannie, if you're listening, don't do it. Just, it's not worth it. Don't make Stu try to deal with 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 Zoom all over again. That was that was mean. It was cruel. 
He never really got it. He never and and look, but like you're saying, Sean, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't even have to be like an age thing. Like it's impossible to 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 broadcast these things when when the people who are tasked with uh, improving, like if if it was really about, hey, uh, we could we think you could do this remotely or whatever, like it. The, the argument for it is that the game isn't necessarily improved by the people who are calling it or broadcasting it to you, right? Like, the, in the NFL, Tom Brady's going to get $375 million, even though he has never said anything interesting in, in his life. But the reason that they're doing that is on the off chance that he is as good as Tom Brady or uh, as good as Peyton Manning or Tony Romo. Like, on the off chance that he does noticeably improve those broadcasts, and and thus get more customers to watch those games specifically for Tom Brady, and and like this idea that by doing it remote you can just recreate this thing that we know it does take a special talent to a make a difference in the broadcast and b do so in a way that brings you customers. The idea that they're now going to go in the opposite direction as everybody is 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 competing for eyeballs. Uh, the, the idea that they're going to start trimming back on that stuff rather than investing more into it is wild to me. Everybody is spending insane amounts of money to improve these broadcasts and, and that it would be the Blazers or anybody who could possibly be making this decision with with cutting it back or, or, or uh, you know, trying to make it, quote unquote, more efficient. It's just it's, it's crazy. It's it's, you know, penny wise, but dollar dumb. I will also just kind of give you you know a personal example of just how much this remote stuff just sucks i mean i do not talk to people on tv as a job like i i don't work on the tv side i work on, I, on the writing and the podcasting side of it so it's a little bit of a different thing but if you're somebody like let's say the blazers sideline reporter brooke olsendam who is one in my opinion i mean i'm a little bit biased because i know her and like we're friends mm-hmm. but like in my opinion, I think she's one of the best sideline reporters in the NBA. And part of why she's so good is because she has relationships with all the players and they all trust her and they will all give her good, you know, interviews when it's time to do that. And you just cannot build those relationships without being on the, you know, having in-person access. I just wrote a story last week about Nasir Little, who you know, just, you know, was in the middle of kind of having a breakout year and then just had season ending shoulder surgery. And then, you know, he's back and he's expecting himself to have a big year. And Mm -hmm. I did this story where he's, so he's been here in Portland all summer working out at the Blazers practice facility. And one day, a couple weeks ago, uh, you know, he agreed you know, to do an interview with me. And so I, drove out to Tualatin, which is where the Blazers practice facility is. And after one of his workouts, we met up and got coffee and we talked for like an hour and there was no zoom. There was no phone. There were no agents or handlers or PR people having to handle all the tech stuff. It was just me and him sitting at a table talking like normal people and having a regular conversation and it was yeah. great. And he, you know, he looked like he was more, co- he was comfortable with me cause we were face to face. And like, we don't even have like that, you know, 
close of a relationship because the last time I think I was able to actually talk to him in person was three years ago because his rookie season was the 2019 20 season, which was the season that got shut down originally because of COVID. And like we had talked here and there in the locker room before then, but that was at this point almost three years ago because in, you know, during the uh, 2021 season, there was zero in-person access to anybody. It was all zoom because of COVID. And then this past year, you know, there was in-person access, but it was a lot of podium stuff. And there wasn't really a lot of opportunities to just have a face-to-face conversation with somebody in kind of this organic setting. And just being able to do that again, I can tell you that the interview that I did with him, it was a lot better. I think I enjoyed it more and I could, I would be willing to, I haven't talked to him about it since then, but I'd be willing to bet that he enjoyed it more being able to just sit there at a table with me talking face to face and not having to worry about like, Oh, how is the zoom connection? Or is this moderator going to cut us off on time? And it just made for, I think it made for a better story from my end. And it made for, I think probably in his mind, uh, again, I'm not, I don't want to speak for him, but in his mind, he's probably happier with kind of the stuff that the conversation we were able to have face to face than if we had just set something up on the phone or on zoom. And it was a lot more like, compressed for time or whatever the case may be like this stuff. And this is why, you know, media members, even outside of this, you know, broadcast travel stuff, we, this is why we're all so vocal about wanting locker room access to come back because it's so much easier to develop more organic relationships and get more organic, you know, have, have real conversations and, you know, have real trust with these guys and build relationships with them. than it would be if everything was just podium or zoom or, any of this stuff. And I think, and here's the thing also, like there's this misconception, I think that, you know, all the players are really pushing to keep media out of the locker rooms. I think there are a couple of very, very high profile players who like not having us around, who are really pushing for us not to be back in the locker rooms. And I think have a lot of influence, but I think most of the players get it. Like the, the, the Nasir Littles of the league, the guys who are yeah. like just, you know, not superstars and not super big name guys. All of but those want guys, their stories told. Right. A, they want their stories told. I think also those guys are much more willing to understand that we need to be in there in order to do our jobs properly. And that most of us are just, you know, actually want to build relationships with them and aren't out there to burn anybody or to play gotcha or, you know, get anybody yeah. in trouble. And they understand that it's beneficial for them to have good relationships with us. I think most of the players get it. And yeah. from what I've heard, I don't know definitively. I don't think they've made a permanent, like I don't think they've fully said yet based on, or, or I haven't heard they have, but based on what I've heard, I'm, I'm optimistic that we're going to get locker room access back, which I think is going to be good for everybody. Yeah. I mean, as a part of any conversation, nonverbal communication is yeah. probably more important than like, verbal communication. Like you know? this podcast that you and I are doing right now, like so far, this has been a great conversation. And, you know, we've gotten lucky that there haven't, knock on wood, there haven't been any technical hiccups or any of that. And both of our connections are good and our sound is good and stuff. But mm-hmm. this podcast would be way better than it is right now if you and I were actually in the same right. room in person. And I mean, you you know we live in different places so that's physically not possible but but if it, it is would, possible that's that's how you would prefer I to do business always prefer to do this kind of yeah. stuff in person than not in person yeah 
Um, it's hell. I, I remember back before, you know, when I was doing these shows and it was like a, it was always a, a, the beginning of recording or before I would record with any guest, it was like, all right, is this, you know, do you need video? And having to ask people, yes, can you please turn on your camera? It makes the, the conversation way better if right. I can see a reaction to what I'm saying. And then, you know, the next step in that is if possible, yes, I would love to be able to do more of these in person. It's just, uh. It, you know, I don't think Vox is interested in sending me all over the country. To... <laughs> so, um, all right. I, I do. I also want to talk about the we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. Or I do want to hit on this Phil Knight aspect of things, because, mm-hmm. you know, as everything and look, it's been a, a wild ass year for the Portland Trailblazers. And yes. um, even giving even given how wild it's been with Neil Neil O'Shea's firing with the disaster that was the Chauncey Billups hiring mm-hmm. um maybe not like the choice to hire him but like the the, the process way that it that, was handled yeah the way that the, By yeah, exactly. the guy who is no longer with the organization <laughs> probably probably a link between those two things um and so so i i you know even given how crazy and dramatic the year has been i think the 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 more drastic and intangible change could happen if or when Phil Knight does finally buy the Portland Trailblazers. We do know that obviously Jody Allen wasn't the original purchaser of uh, the, the Blazers. That was uh, her brother. And, and you know, Paul Allen was, you know, there were aspects of his ownership approach that I don't necessarily uh, agree with, but there are also aspects of his ownership approach that uh, he, I thought, I think he was the first to ever have a private jet for yes. the for his team. So like he was, he was willing to spend in ways that um, helped the Blazers be competitive and 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 the way that you can make a competitive team in a smaller market. Like I thought he he was pretty committed to that, especially in comparison to his sister. Um, given how I've kind of seen things from afar, obviously, but you bring. Phil Knight into this, you bring Nike money into this, and we've seen it already with the Clippers. Man, it, it was it was an immediate facelift to that organization when you got Steve Ballmer money involved, and now you, you're talking about Phil Knight money being involved. Um, how how seismic a shift would that be for what the Blazers are capable of? Well, let me ask you: You're a Dodger fan, right? Yeah. Do you know anything about Alan Smolaniski? No. Okay, he's one because he's one of the minority owners of the in the Dodgers group, uh-huh. and he was Phil Knight's partner in uh, the bid. Okay, that that was reported. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, at yeah. the time, I so I'm actually I'm in the process of kind of doing some research about him. He's a younger guy; I think he's in his 40s, and so that's a little bit of a contingency plan given you know the age factor with Phil Knight. But I was I will say this: I was stunned when Woj it was first Woj that reported that Phil Knight was preparing a bid to buy the Blazers. The name that I had always heard behind the scenes as likely whenever they decided to sell who the buyer would be was Larry Ellison, who was the CEO of Oracle and has tried to buy uh, NBA teams several times in the last decade or so. He tried to buy the Warriors when Joe Lake bought them. He tried to buy the Grizzlies when, Robert Para bought them. I think he actually bid more money than Robert Para, but he was actually shut down because he wanted to move the team to San Jose and the league wanted mm. the team to stay in Memphis. 
Mm -hmm. And I think he tried to get involved with the Clippers when all the Donald Sterling stuff happened, but the league had pretty much decided that Steve Ballmer was the guy. Yeah. So he has wanted to buy a team for a long time and he's a West coast guy. And so I had heard for a couple of years that he was going to be the guy. And so when the Phil Knight thing came out, I was just like, what? Like, okay. I did not see that coming because yeah. friend, then, you know, after that, I started asking around and started kind of figuring out what was going on for 40 years or however long it's been that Nike has been as big of a player as they are in the sports world. Every commissioner of a league, whether, you know, it be the NBA, the NFL, baseball, every one of these leagues has for years been trying to get Phil Knight to buy a team. Yeah. And he has never been interested until now. This is the first time he has actually shown any interest in buying a team. I think at this point for him, you know, he's 84. He's accomplished everything that there is to accomplish with Nike. Nike is the biggest sports, you know, apparel yeah. company in the world by a pretty significant margin. He's not even really actively involved at Nike anymore. He's like the chairman emeritus or something like that. He's not even yeah. really like involved in the day to day anymore. He's from the area. It's kind of a, I think it's kind of a legacy play for him, mm. which is why he is now interested in buying the team. And my understanding is that now that he's involved in, or now that he's interested in buying a team, now the NBA is kind of treating him like they treated Steve Ballmer. Whereas like, I'm sure there will be other people whenever Jody does decide to put the team up for sale, there will be other team, you know, people bidding and other groups bidding. But I think the league has decided that they want Phil Knight to be the guy. And so I believe that that's ultimately who it's going to be. I, it makes sense to me. The other, I mean, the the awkward part of this is Dame is an Adidas guy. Yeah, well, <laughs> whatever. the check, the check, the checks. If the checks clear, it's probably. Well, I, I was just trying. You know, if 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 they're interested in in getting a Nike guy back, you know, Dame and 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 Dame could fit in with LeBron. I guess you could. I guess Taylor Horton Tucker probably wears Nikes. I, well, maybe. here's the other. Here's the other. Uh, well, so here here's the other. Theory. It's funny that you bring this up. I'm sure you're following all of this noise now about where Bronny is going to go to college. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of these reports are that the front runner or one of the front runners to get him is Oregon, which clearly would just be like a favor be from LeBron to Phil to go have him go to the Nike school if that were to happen. <laughs> but so, you know, the way this extension that LeBron just signed, uh, where he can opt out after the 23-24 season now, Mm -hmm. which will be after Bronny's freshman season. And so he can set it up that, you know, he's, he's talked pretty openly about wanting to play with Bronny at some point during his career before he retires. It, you know, whatever team drafts Bronny, like LeBron theoretically could opt out and sign with that team. And, you know, if he goes to the school that Phil Knight is like the primary booster of yeah, around the same time that Phil Knight might be buying the Blazers. Well, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just <laughs> some interesting stuff to put together there. The the whole thing with with Bronny and the role that he might be playing in the end of LeBron's career, I I don't even know how to frankly talk about it because yeah. for one thing, like he's an okay player, he's a top fifty recruit, I believe as it stands right now, um, little undersized and 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 all those things, but you, 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 it almost doesn't matter what kind of basketball player he is. Like for, for all of these teams, if you're the Sacramento Kings and you if have you a draft chance, Bronny, you're drafting LeBron James. You're getting LeBron. 
<laughs> I, I mean, and I'll, I, I, here's the other end of it. And I, I would be very interested. This will never happen because every piece of access to him is so controlled at this point. But I would yeah. be very interested to know Bronny's honest thoughts about this whole thing. Because if yeah. I was, you know, a guy coming off my freshman season going into the NBA and I'm an NBA player for the first time, I'm not trying to have my dad on the team being around. <laughs> like, like, no, like, 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 I get that like LeBron wants to do it because it's a personal thing for him. And like, yeah. I'm sure like they can make, you know, uninterrupted can make a big documentary about it and make a ton of money. And like, it's a huge marketing thing and Nike can do a ton with it. But if I'm Bronny, I'm trying to like actually be my own player and not have my dad be on the team. And like, I don't want to feel like, you know, most of the players are closer to my age and I want to feel like I can be <laughs> candid with them and talk honestly with them and build relationships with my teammates without everybody just being like, Oh, you know, his dad's on the team and his dad is LeBron and he's just gonna, you know, go tell his dad, whatever we tell, uh, you, you know, I, yeah. if I were Bronny, I'm not sure I would want this, but I, I, I don't, I don't know. Obviously I don't know Bronny at all. I don't know their family yeah. dynamic. That's just, if I were his aide in that position, I'm not sure I would want my dad to be around every single day in my first NBA season. I, I would probably not want my dad there as I am enjoying the life of being an NBA player for the first time. Like, <laughs> Like, what what are you doing tonight, son? Uh, I was thinking about going to the club. What are you doing tonight, son? Like, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't think I want those conversations with my dad. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah, I it, it, it's fascinating. And and look, like you know, one of the things that gets kind of openly whispered about uh, in in NBA circles is like, well, how is Clutch gonna? engineer Bronny getting to the Lakers so that LeBron doesn't have to go play for the Sacramento Kings. You know, like how, how, how can they make it so that uh, Bronny just winds up wherever he, he has to so that LeBron's next step makes more sense. And it's just, I honestly think it's like a, it's a pretty good encapsulation of the superstar empowerment era where, yeah, from LeBron's perspective, it's really cool to have your career come so full circle uh -huh. That you'll be able to 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 go and you have the you have it could be uh, like the Griffies, but for the NBA. Yeah, but like you have you have over the course of a twenty year career earned yourself the leverage to essentially decide where your son plays next and where you play next, right? Uh -huh. And that's really cool from LeBron's perspective. But for like a late first round pick to just like kind of he he hasn't I, I I believe I was hearing that like Bronny hasn't taken any offers or had any conversations That's officially what LeBron about college said on Twitter, but I mean, yeah. I'm sure he has to, you know, if you really want to keep your third eye open, uh, yeah. the theory that I've heard that I think actually makes a lot of sense, much like this Phil Knight lasers sale thing where everybody who's involved with it is on the record going to deny that it's happening, but everybody behind the scenes kind of knows that it's happening. Adam Silver has insisted that expansion isn't happening, but everybody in the league kind of knows that like, yeah. they've already made plans for Seattle and Vegas to get teams in a couple of years. And the rumor right now is that the Fenway group, which LeBron has other involvement mm -hmm. with, like he, you know, he he's bought into the Red, Red Sox, Sox and uh, Liverpool, uh, the soccer team. Yeah. The rumor is that the Fenway group is going to be the ownership group that gets the Vegas franchise whenever the expansion happens, which is probably going to be after the new TV deal in 2025. And yeah. so the idea then would be LeBron and Bronny 
go play for the Vegas franchise. Yeah. Start their own thing. So they don't have to worry about, you know, LeBron dignifying an un, you know, not a heritage, you know, legacy brand yeah. like the Sacramento Kings or whatever by playing for them. Cause we know that LeBron loves a legacy brand, which is why he yep. went to the Lakers in the first place. So he gets to kind of have the allure of building his own legacy brand in Las Vegas is like this glitzy thing. He gets to play with his kid and then he retires and buys into the ownership group, which he already has other business ties with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I could see all, I mean, the, all of this is, is kind of on the table. Like there's, there's almost nothing that I could hear here that would make me think, huh, that seems possible. You know, that's how weird this, this situation is. We, again, we're talking about a, a non lottery pick. I think right now is I think fair to say about, well, yeah, probably not a lottery pick um, if he continues on this trajectory. Maybe he continues to improve, and, and we're talking about a very different player at that time. But a non-lottery pick who might decide the fate of, like... <laughs> well, like where LeBron, where, games. like, one of the three greatest players of all time finishes out his career. <laughs> I mean, and here's the it's thing. Even if, take, even if it takes, like, three more years, like... LeBron is so is is such a talented, you know. Even, yeah. Even if he's, you know, he takes such good care of his body that, like, he, and he's such has such such a high IQ that, like, even if physically LeBron isn't what he is, even now, where like he's, you know, LeBron is not a you know top five player anymore, but he's a top ten player still, and I yeah. have no reason to believe that if he still you know keeps himself in shape, that in Oh man, you're gonna, 40, Lakers fans are going to be pissed at you like like Blazers fans are pissed at Taylor Rooks. When he, no, what I'm saying, not like, top five. I, how dare you? No, I'm I don't not care. surprised that like yeah. you know I wouldn't be surprised if you know in three years when he's 43, he's still a top 20 player in the league. He's still yeah. good enough to be able to to do that. And so you know it, it's this is this is totally unprecedented. <laughs> just all of this. we'll never see it again. No. We'll never see anything like this ever again. No, it would require somebody having a career like LeBron's, and and yeah, it's just I just don't think we're ever seeing it. Ever Even again. like Kareem played for twenty years, and he was not as good in year twenty as LeBron is now. Yeah, Art Cooper wrote for Silver Screen the other day that LeBron is about to have the greatest twenty year twenty season anybody yes. has ever had. And it's and like I don't think it's even we know close that going either. in. <laughs> no, it's not even close. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the the whole this whole thing is has been fascinating. The the what what comes next for Bronny has been fascinating. I just I do like you say feel kind of bad because Bronny where he winds up might impact all of these things and all of this. But he has not. Like, it just still feels like he has no control over this. Mm-hmm. He and look, if you want somebody guiding your career as you get as you're getting into getting ready to go into the NBA, there is nobody better to learn from than LeBron James to help guide you through this. But but it's still your dad. It's well, it's it's your dad, and it's your career. Like it's your deal. Like I, it I, might not be the best thing for Bronny to like. like it would probably be better like, for Bronny to go to like a Indiana or an Orlando or like a market yeah. that's not really going to have a lot of spotlight on them and actually get to be his own thing. Whereas you know that if him and LeBron are on the same team together, yeah, uninterrupted is going to try to make this into a whole multi-part documentary. <laughs> There's going to be cameras everywhere. It's going to, it's gonna, yeah. what it's basically going to do is it's going to be like what, you know, when, when LeVar Ball tried to turn, you know, his, his kid's entire life into a TV show when they were playing in Lithuania or whatever, except right. that this time it's, LeBron James, like the most famous NBA player right. of the last, you know, 25 years since Michael Jordan. Like, it, it, it's just, had, I, I don't know how, I don't see how this is healthy. 
He could he could have he could get HBO money behind this. Whereas like Levar Ball was like, hey Facebook, are you interested? Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, like it, it's it's gonna be fascinating to see how all this plays out. Um, all right, last thing before we get you out of here. Uh, the Blazers do make a bunch of uh, noise in what has been one of the weirder off seasons mm-hmm. of of my time covering this. Um, they they do go out. They they get uh, Grant. Uh, they are now moving forward. Dame signs an extension, right? Or is that he, he did he did he did that this off season, right? Yeah. yeah. So. It's been a weird offseason, like I said. So uh, what are your expectations? Like, how? what do you think the Blazers are capable of? Uh, you know, do, do they... I think right now they're better than the Lakers, even though the Lakers have LeBron and AD. Uh, what, 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 where would you kind of... How would you say this season should play out for these guys? Are they even done building around Dame as they try to make good on that extension that he signed? I think they're probably done before training camp starts. Mm-hmm. They don't really have any other moves that they can make. They have 15 players under contract. They have one more two-way spot. I don't think they really, there's not really a whole lot of trade, you know, traction on anything. I think the roster they have now is the yeah. roster that they're going to have going into training camp. But I also don't think that they think that they have a contender, like a title contender right now. Yeah. Like that's one, of, that's one of the things that's the, that's kind of, if you're a Blazer fan is kind of refreshing about this new front office because the previous GM last he just convinced himself basically okay. made yeah. no real moves last summer, basically just signed like Cody Zeller and Tony Snell to minimum deals. And then went into training camp and on media day, he was saying, this is the deepest team we've ever had around Dane Joe Cronin. <laughs> like the last few times we've talked to him or the, or when he went on the radio, a couple of, uh, like a month ago, which by the way, Neil Olshay never went on the radio when he was the GM. He was never willing to actually talk when he didn't absolutely have to. But Joe Cronin has consistently said, we know we're not good enough. We have to keep, you know, trying to get better. So I would imagine that probably something will happen at the deadline. I don't know who or what that will be, but I think that's, if I had to guess, I don't think they feel like the roster that they're going into training camp with is going to be the roster they want to have, uh, by the time of the playoffs. Now, as far as how good I think they can be, I would probably put them like to me, the clear top four teams in the West, assuming all the main guys for all these teams are healthy are golden state, Phoenix, the Clippers and Denver. In some yep. I think those are clearly the top four. I would put Portland somewhere in that five to eight range yeah. with Minnesota Dallas. and Memphis and Dallas and, mm-hmm. uh, I, uh, that's probably it yeah new orleans like yeah somewhere somewhere in there like i would put them in there i think that people are a little bit because he just missed a whole, most of a season with this ab thing and he what you know he had probably the worst season of his career last year because he was mm-hmm. dealing with this ab thing i think people are kind of forgetting that a healthy Damian Lillard is 45 wins in and of itself. He's such a floor raiser in that way. Yeah. And this is also this ab injury that he had. It's the same one that Drew Holiday had a few years ago when he was still in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And this is the kind of injury where it's not like Dame is coming off of a torn ACL or a torn Achilles where it's going to take him a year to get back into form. This is the kind of injury where you have this surgery and it's a pretty quick 
rehab. Like, I think he probably could have played at the end of last season if they weren't tanking and there was any reason for him to play. Yeah. I think pretty clearly Jeremy Grant is an upgrade and is, you know, the kind of big defensive wing that they haven't had since probably Nicholas Batum. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I think they're a playoff team. I think they are, you know, in that four to eight range, depending on, you know, how health stuff shakes out and how, you know, the teams that I think are ahead of them shake out. Like if, if something happens to, you know, Jamal Murray or he's not the same guy or Kawhi isn't the same guy or the DeAndre Ayton, like weird, bad feelings about the contract stuff lingers and the, and that situation kind of goes south. Then I could see them jumping up past that. But right now I think I would probably comfortably put them in that like five to eight range, which really like Dame would like to win a championship. But I think really what he wants is for them to be trying. Yeah. And I think under the last front office regime, he didn't always feel like they were trying because the people in charge were <laughs> and so attached to certain players that yeah. they would absolutely not even consider moving them, even when it was the obvious thing to do. And I think Dame feels like they're doing enough to at least put in an honest effort to. There's less that's off the table. You know, yes, that, that's the that's the way that I would that's the yeah. way that I would put it. Yes, there's less that's off the table, and it's actually really funny. Uh, at his he, he he did a press conference with Joe and Chauncey out in Vegas after mm-hmm. uh, he signed the extension, and he said something to the effect of like, "I had a conversation with Joe Crone, and he told me that they're going to try to win." and I have a pretty good idea of when somebody is BSing me and blowing smoke and I didn't get that vibe from it. And I'm just like, hmm, I wonder who he's talking about. I wonder who he's comparing Joe Cronin to there and saying that Joe Cronin isn't like this. <laughs> it's very, that's, a, that's I, if, an incredible if, quote. If the front office changes that had, that, that happened in December hadn't happened, mm-hmm. I think that they wouldn't have done anything at the deadline and Neil would be going into this offseason saying it wasn't the roster, it was just that Dame was hurt, and he would be just running it back with Dame and CJ again, and then Dame would actually be asking for a trade this summer. Yeah. I was I, I was going to finish up by saying, like, is is five to eight being in that range enough to, to keep Dame um, running towards the grind? But, like, <laughs> I, I think it's important. It's important. Wanna... Yeah, like, it's important context. Like, I think... It's like it's kind of the difference between Dame's approach to this and like Kevin Durant's approach to this, right. where where Durant definitively like wanted a championship. It was championship or bust. And where do you go if you're if that's how you're approaching things, uh, and you're more interested in the championship than the competition? Then it's then you go to Golden State and you team up with a seventy three win Golden State team, and you become the best team of all time. Um, whereas I think more especially NBA players respect Dame's approach to this is like, no, I, I would like to win a championship, but more than anything, I want to feel like I am being met halfway by my front office. I want to compete. I want us all to compete together. And, and that's where, like I, I where I was getting kind of frustrated from where I was watching. Cause I think all of these organizations owe a certain level of competition to these great players is like it didn't feel like Dane was being met halfway. It felt like Neil O'Shea was doing the bare minimum 
to remain employed. And that was his top priority above even competition. So uh, I, I look, I, I would like to see Dame finish out his career in Portland. I would like to see him continue to feel as if he's being met halfway. Um, so long as that's the case, then it's not really anybody else's place to tell him like, you got to get out of there. That's not how this it's, works. The thing is the thing that always kind of bugged me about it. Like I'm a, I'm not, I'm a reporter. I'm not a fan. So I don't really like have emotional investment in like, you know, this one way or the other. Yeah. But I just always have thought it was funny that it's a lot of the same people who were killing Durant for going to the Warriors and saying that he stacked we're the saying deck Dame, and he get joined the super team. Yeah. are now saying that Dame, like, oh, you know, you need to get out of Portland. You need to go, you know, get somewhere else. And it's like, okay, you can't, you can't kill one person for going to a super team and then, you know, get mad at somebody yeah. else for not doing the same thing. I think Dame's mentality is a lot more similar to kind of Giannis. I think Giannis was looking around a little bit after those last couple of playoff yeah. finishes. And then what did the Bucks do? They went out and got Drew Holiday. They made a yep. meaningful upgrade and, Giannis was like, and you know, Giannis signed. I mean, now obviously, you know, Giannis signed the extension, and now he's going to probably stay in Milwaukee forever. But he signed the extension before they won the championship. They could have not won the championship last year or or this past yeah. year. Like they could have, it could have not worked out. But Giannis, they, he saw that Drew Holiday move, and was like, okay, this is a real upgrade. There, at least, even if we don't end up winning, there they made an honest effort to get better. And if it, you know, if if it ends up not working out, it ends up not working out. But they did actually make a move to try to get better. I think that's what Dame is looking at this Jeremy Grant trade. Yeah, and I mean, part of it is that Dame played with Jeremy Grant at the Olympics last summer, and they're pretty close on a personal level. And that was somebody that Dame was pushing for, mm -hmm. but. I think Dame is also pretty smart about basketball stuff and roster stuff and salary cap stuff. And it's not a situation where let's say clearly Buddy Heald would have been a better fit from a basketball standpoint for the Lakers to go get, but LeBron was really pushing for Russ because Russ had the status and Russ had the relationship with him and everybody outside of LeBron and clutch could immediately see that that was going to be a terrible fit with yeah. Dame. It's like part of why he was pushing for Jeremy Grant was because that's his boy. And like, that's somebody he wants to play with, but, but also, you, also it's a really good fit yeah. from a basketball standpoint. I mean, you look at the other players that Dame has unsuccessfully in the past pushed for Portland to try to go get, he was really pushing them to trade for Aaron Gordon before he got traded to Denver. Yep. He, he was really pushing for, Jalen Brown, when it, you know, a few years ago when he wasn't as untouchable with the Celtics as he maybe is now, he really wanted Ben Simmons when that whole thing was blowing up. The types of players that he has pushed for them to try to go get have been guys that would make a lot of sense around him and would upgrade them defensively. And I think Jeremy Grant falls into that same category while yeah, also it, being a great, like Jeremy Grant was the first option in Detroit and he proved that he could be a 20 point scorer, but you have him kind of now and back to being in a similar role as he had maybe in Denver in Oklahoma city. He was great in Denver where he's like a third option. Yeah. And I think, you know, he's a, you know, it's, it's probably the two first options on offense are going to be Damon and Anthony Simons, who just got this new contract. Like I think Jeremy granted that role is going to be pretty great. Yeah. I, I, I find it interesting because, you know, a lot of times when, when you kind of, talk to NBA players, especially stars. 
and you talk to uh, or, or you hear them talk about like what they value on a basketball court, uh-huh. it's a lot of like buckets. Like you know, can you get can you give me a bucket? Can you give me a bucket? Can you? And it's really interesting, and it sounds really, it's it's actually really cool that Dame is saying like, well, actually, wings are super important. Like th- this position over here, uh-huh. this is how we really win. Um, and that's, that's fascinating. I think uh, that, that bodes well, I think for a few, what, what he wants, what he might want to do, um, after his playing career. All right, man. Well, thank you very much for hopping on. I really appreciate you uh, carving out a little bit of time here. Um, plug one more time, what you're doing over there, um, at the beehive and, and, uh, and tell people why they should be following you. I think everybody should be, it's phenomenal content. Sean is somebody I've always trusted on, on whatever team he's covering. Um, so yeah, you make your case better than I can. So I'm covering the Portland Trailblazers basically as a beat writer on if you're if any of you are familiar with what James Ham is doing in Sacramento with the Kings beat and what mm-hmm. Scott Agnes is doing in Indy with the Fieldhouse Files and Derek Bodner, I think is the most high profile example of somebody doing this kind of independent thing with what he's doing in Philly. Mm-hmm. Like it's a pretty similar thing to that but covering the blazers and i i think that you know i i'm somebody who's been around the team for a long enough time that i you know i feel like i have a pretty you know good relationships in the organization and a pretty good idea of what's going on and so i'm kind of doing that as an independent thing the way to go sign up is you go to rosegardenreport.beehive.com Dot com. You can sign up for, you know, there's a, there's a free version where, you know, you get some stuff, but a lot of the more in-depth and really exclusive stuff is behind a paywall, which I tried to keep pretty reasonable from a price standpoint. It's $6 a month, or you can pay 50 for the whole year, which I think is pretty mm-hmm. reasonable as far as these things go for the amount of content that you're getting. And then I also have a podcast, which is also called the Rose Garden Report, and that's totally free on all the usual platforms, Apple, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast, you can just go type that in. And that's there. I've been doing that about once a week during the off season, because there just hasn't been that much stuff to talk about. But once the season and training camp get going, I think that might be more of a twice a week thing. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where things are right now. So far, like it's, it's, I've gotten a lot of really good response here locally from, you know, people, you know, I will, I actually want to give you know, some credit to the Blazers PR staff who has been very, very accommodating with, mm-hmm. you know, it can be very hit and miss where if you tell them, Hey, you're doing, you know, I'm doing this independent thing. I'm not a Philly. Like it was always very easy for me before because I was with Bleacher Report, which is owned by Turner, which is a league partner. So I never had any yeah. issues getting credentialed anywhere, but the Blazers PR staff, in the couple of months since I started this have been very, very accommodating and very helpful and very supportive of that. And so that's made it really easy for me to be able to do the kind of work that I want to do. And it's been, you know, I think once training camp and the season start and we get more regular access to these guys, I think it's going to just get even better. Yep. Uh, yeah, check it all. Check out all of that stuff. Um, it's, it's all really good content. I really, uh, I really respect the people who are going out and trying to do it independently. I think it's a really cool thing that um, is is it takes a lot of bravery and creativity to pull off. And, and thus far, man, I think you've done a really good job with it. So 
Uh, that was Sean Hyken. Again, the Rose Garden Report, the newsletter, and the podcast. Uh, check that stuff out. And uh, yeah, Sean, best of luck on the rest of this offseason and, and carrying on over into the season. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Anthony. It's good, good to talk to you. Anytime.